0: venerable master and dharma friends uh, welcome to our sutra lecture tonight this is the 10th of november a saturday night we're here in berkeley california looking into the flower garland sutra the avatamsaka sutra and uh, if you would please turn to the front cover of your text we're going to recite the names of the buddhas and the bodhisattvas the names of the sutra and get going after invoking their spiritual presence here we go (laughs)
1: al <laughs> mod
0: Page 72 and 73 in your text, please. Okay, we're on the last two stanzas. There are only four on the page, and we're on number three. Here we go. I'll give you the Chinese, you give it back. Oh, let's see, we're doing the verses, all right, here we go. Forse
1: Okay,
0: uh, together, let's read the Chinese, the English. In, on the right-hand page, page 73, read it together. Here we go. Buddhist disciples dwelling here, one is diligent with vigor, and with hundreds of thousands of samadhis, one then becomes endowed. He sees hundreds of thousands of Buddhas' bodies adorned with marks. If he uses power of vows, it surpasses even that. Okay. Um, I worked on English a bit to put it in English. The first translation is kind of a Yoda speak. You kind of flip the the verb to the end so it sounds pseudo-poetic. So, here we go. Something like this. When Buddhist disciples stay here, they're diligent and vigorous. They then become endowed with hundreds of thousands of samadhis. They see hundreds of thousands of Buddha's bodies adorned with fine hallmarks, refined with hallmarks. Their vision surpasses that when they use the power of vows. We've come to the last two stanzas of the third ground. The third ground is the third of ten. It's more than halfway through the Flower Garland Sutra. And we're talking about the Bodhisattva. This is an awakened being, somebody who is definitely the hero of this northern school of Buddhism. Bodhisattva is the... The fascinating part about this text is you can trace back the humanity of this individual very directly. On one hand you could say he or she is a what they call a celestial bodhisattva, someone who lives kind of in the the religious imagination of, of this school. On the other hand, that would if you left it there if the bodhisattva was somebody from long ago and far away, kind of a Tinkerbell or in the Peter Pan of sutras, kind of a uh, someone whose stories are reserved for fire bonfires on summer camps, then uh, you've missed the point. In fact, this bodhisattva is used, uh, the Bodhisattva's comes alive when you see him or her in the mirror in the morning, when you're shaving or brushing your teeth or checking your makeup. this The purpose of the bodhisattva is to allow us to see ourselves in the generic outline of this figure. Um, the bodhisattva is given to us uh, kind of like, you know, if you design a web page and you have that the human face outlined with a question mark in it, kind of a placeholder. He's The Bodhisattva given to us as a generic figure so that you put your face in there. And its is it one size fits all? No, it's one principle can inspire all. The bar is very high. This is humanity almost too good to be true, but not. It's so good it can be true. When we look deep in our hearts. So it's the placeholder. It's perfected humanity, you know, uh, with your with a, a, a space left for your features to sketch in. Um, that's the idea, and you could see it that way. On the other hand, you could also say it, it's the Buddha's biography. This is very much the story of the Buddha as he went through many, many lifetimes um, becoming better each time, challenging herself to grow, to improve in goodness. Not to get smarter, necessarily, but to get better, to become a finer person, to become more virtuous, to lose bad habits, to um, painfully change from... Uh, ordinary living being to extraordinary individual. So that's, that's kind of how this text is. It's a template of what we can become. Is it a historical account? Is this the Buddha's story? Mm. Inasmuch as there are many Buddhas from the Mahayana. Now the Theravada tradition, the Pali-based tradition, wouldn't, wouldn't affirm this, but you can find the roots of this in the Pali tradition as well. It's still talking about uh, people putting dharma onto their bodies, mouths, and minds and transforming. Becoming uh, fitting the mold of of dharma where they're excessive reducing, where they don't measure up adding to it to find this perfect middle this uh, the the Dao, the middle way. So this is the very end of that. It's the third one. There's one before it. There's one to come. And let's see what the conclusion is. Like I've said uh, from week to week, this is a template. The, um, the, it's, it's also a refrain. You know how in a song you get to the chorus and everybody sings along at the end? Um, this is the chorus that repeats from ground to ground. And in this case, it's about the samadhis that the Bodhisattva accomplishes when he or she gets to this point. What does it say? The, the disciple of the Buddha who stays here is really vigorous. Qin is, you see the strength radical. This is character number five. Is strong. The Bodhisattva puts out here, exerts. Mm, tries again, tries harder, and how exerts to what jingjin, meaning moving forward. Jingjin is the it's one of the f- six paramitas. It's paramita number four, sometimes called the paramita of strength, virya paramita. Virya is in uh, Sanskrit shares the root with the word viral, meaning strength meaning having this kind of, the French call it force du frappe, it's the bang that the, uh, the bodhisattva has. And so it's the paramita, the perfection of strength. We have often translated it as vigor, vigorous, meaning not content to sit still, moving forward, taking it another step, turning the wheel one more time. The bodhisattva, when he stays here, when she stays here, works hard, really tries to go beyond the ordinary, just the good enough, gets beyond good enough. And what happens? By qian san mei, jie juzhu, hundred thousand san mei, samadhi's concentration, jie juzhu, is complete with, is replete with, is has, has all of them. So what does that mean? It says that And because this is one of those texts that returns every time, it says when the bodhisattva gets to the third ground, there are, you might say, perks that come with that level of skill, which is your mind settles into samadhi. What is a samadhi? Samadhi is a state of concentration and stillness. What's it like? Everybody who drove here, unless you're a beginning driver, knows about the driving samadhi. What's the driving samadhi? They're, if you spend time behind the wheel, you're not like on edge unless you're one of those drivers that nobody likes to ride with, right? If you're like a nervous driver, well, that's another story. But if you're a driver who kind of sits back and, and reads the road and... Kind of relaxes knowing that if you get to 65 or 70, you, you're going to arrive. You don't have to like push the pedal all the time. One of those nervous drivers who. You ever get in a, with a driver who like has a nervous pedal? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> not one of those drivers. If you have gotten off the airplane in Kuala Lumpur and you're met by a Buddhist delegation and they always put the monk in the Mercedes, somebody in the community has a Mercedes or a Lexus and they put the monk in that one and sometimes the drivers are nervous foot drivers who ride the accelerator so you're doing this as you ride along. You ever been in one of those? Maybe you don't get to ride in other people's cars a lot, but being a monk who travels around, we're always being met by drivers at airports all the time. And It's amazing how some drivers just don't put it on 75, 70, 65, and keep it there, they pump the pedal. Boy, that presents a challenge to the patient's paramita of the monk. Because you want to go, hey, will you please stop that? You know, it's like you're, instead, of, instead of riding, you're, it's a rocking chair experience, because the person is pumping the pedal. And you feel it in your butt in the in the seat, you know, it's going back and forth. So anyway, if you're not one of those drivers, you know what I'm talking about when I say the driving samadhi. Um, uh, Doug Powers. Anybody has the opportunity to ride with Doug Powers? Doug drives hundreds of miles a week. Doug gets into a samadhi and when you're in his car, it's like you don't even know you're riding. You're just kind of floating down the highway. He's Big guy in the car. It's a kind of a California thing, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Little old lady from Pasadena, and you go down the road like that. So Doug is one of those drivers, a driving samadhi. If you know what the driving samadhi is, you know what the bodhisattva has when he gets to the third ground, which is, it comes with the attainment of the third ground, is the body and the mind settle into this state of purity and stillness where nothing disturbs. You are—you could say a different RPM, revolutions per microsecond, millisecond. The, the state of these samadhis is... I don't know, first of all, what they are because it's not my state, but they're genuine uh, transformations of body and mind that... Uh, one accomplishes that are part of the third ground. Isn't that interesting? What else do you get? Um, What are perks? Some of you may or may not know that if you're an MD, you have special license plates. Do you all know that? MDs can have special license plates. If you get special MD license plates and you want to go to a Cal football game, you get to drive your car right up to the stadium gates open for you You any MDs who can verify that that is the case right it's true Yeah, you get to drive your car up close why MD license plates it's a perk you went through medical school you put out the vigorous effort to go through your internship residency you get a perk which is you can drive your car right up to the door you're an MD your license plate says so so that's one of the perks if you are a FUD, if you're a PhD, you can add those letters at the end of your signature, and things change. You, get, you can be hired by the faculty more quickly than someone who is uh, not a FUD. So these accomplishments bring with them privileges. The bodhisattva's accomplishment of the third ground brings with it samadhis. How many? By Qian, 100,000. If you look at the second ground, there are fewer. If you look at the fourth ground, there are more. These grow as the Bodhisattva goes through the grounds. They come with it. So you're in a state of cheng Ding, Zheng Shou, they say in Chinese, which is concentration. And Shou means to receive, but it means a state of Stillness and capacity. You can hold more. You've got bigger, uh, more space in your mind. So when you get to the 10th ground, and we will, promise, promise we'll get there. Uh, in our lifetime, we'll get to the 10th ground if we keep coming on Saturday night. When you get to the 10th ground, the Bodhisattva at the 10th ground has... Amazing samadhis. The um, it's called. Each of these grounds has a name, by the way, and this one is called the ground of blazing light. The tenth ground is called the ground of dharma rain, dharma rainfall, fa-yu-di, and the image is the ocean, which. Can hold as much rainwater as the heavens can send it, right? Without overflowing. Um, there's no capacity of Dharma that this Bodhisattva's mind says, enough, I can't hold it too much. So that's its analogy that way. So the Dharma rain, rainfall of the Dharma keeps falling, and this Bodhisattva's mind can hold it all. That's the samadhi of the tenth ground, shi di. So, Buddhist disciples, when Buddhist disciples stay here, they are diligent and vigorous. They're endowed with hundreds of thousands of samadhis. Jizu means comes with it. They've got them, fullness. Nothing is deficient, Nothing's lacking. Furthermore, here's one more of those boilerplate Patterned um, qualities that happen with the third ground, which is what, Bai Fu Xiang Yin They can see hundreds of thousands of Buddha's bodies, refined with hallmarks. Now that requires some explanation. Um, in this tradition. The Buddha's body gets a lot of attention. We talk about the Buddha's body a lot. And first of all, there's not just one. There are three bodies that happen, that occur when you become a Buddha. As soon as you realize Buddhahood, three bodies arise. You get three bodies that are all different. They function differently. One of those bodies is the one that you can see behind me. In fact, there's five Buddha's bodies on display. One is in stained glass. One is tall and standing there. That, and then there are three that are seated. Um, the qualities of the Buddha's body that you see are called hallmarks, and there are 32, 32 fine hallmarks, thirty-two hallmarks, and then they're said to be. Eighty special characteristics, san Shi er xiang ba zhong sui They're called, and these are special, unique. Gonna sneeze again here. It's the furnace. The uh, realizing Buddhahood brings with it these qualities, and. Um, some of the qualities of the Buddha are golden-colored skin. What else? Um, forty teeth, not the thirty-two that we have. Thirty-two or thirty-six? Dentists, Jason. Thirty-two. The Buddha's mouth has thirty. Has forty. I'm gonna sneeze again. Sorry. <coughs> ah. Furnace went off in sympathy. Okay. Um, the Buddha has hands that extend below his knees. How about that? The Buddha has um, the white hair tuft between his eyebrows. He's got long earlobes. He's got a uh, seat of wisdom on the crown of his head. Those are all hallmarks of the Buddha's body. My goodness, it's not going to let me go. Is there a Kleenex box right there in the podium? Yeah, uh, yeah. Could you mind handing one of those? Thanks. Those are all uh, hallmarks of the Buddha's body. Thank you. Excuse me one sec. change of weather those hallmarks come as a result of the buddha's cultivation and that's one of the three bodies and this bodhisattva on the third ground gets to see them they show up Um, and you say yeah well big deal we can see five buddhas here Yeah, those are Buddha images, but in this case, the Bodhisattva really sees Buddhas. And it's not just the historical Buddha, Shakyamuni, who lived 2,550 years ago. I mean, that Shakyamuni Buddha may be visible to this Bodhisattva, but it means that the Buddhas that exist right now in time and space are visible to this Bodhisattva. how many of them? hundreds of thousands of them show up? Which is a little bit inconceivable, right? That's magic. Um, maybe not so so magic. For example, um, our visual spectrum of light is really limited. If you have a microscope, you can see things right this minute that you can't see without the microscope. If you have a telescope, you can see things right this minute that you can't see without the telescope. So this organ is really limited. Um, I recently acquired a macro lens for my camera, and one of the fun things about the macro lens is it just you just put that on the flower and take a picture, and when you booted up on your computer, you go, wow, I had no idea there was a bug. It was a tiny insect right there in the flower. I couldn't see it from where I was standing, but that lens picked it up and that bug is smiling at me. In fact, that bug is waving at me. My God, with eight legs, look at that. So that's the, the power of the macro lens. So no surprise that this Bodhisattva can see things with his eyes that we can't see with ordinary eyes. Buddhas are visible when your mind is still and pure. These Buddha's bodies are adorned with fine hallmarks, the 80 characteristics. So that's, and as I say, as you go through the the grounds, you see more, more and more Buddhists. If the Bodhisattva uses the power of vows, he can see even more. It surpasses even that. What does that mean? All right. Yuan yeah, Li is the key to that last line. Vow strength, vow power. What is vow power? It means that some individuals could be you, could be the person sitting next to you. In the process of their cultivation, um, use their mind in a special way to make vows. Vows are an an interesting part of cultivation that I had no clue uh, until I got to Gold Mountain Monastery and people started talking about Master Shren Hua's vows, our teacher, right here, our founder. He made 18 vows um, as a young man when he was living by his mother's graveside. Right away, you you know this is... uh, not an ordinary person. His mother passed away. Everybody else went home after the funeral. He sat there. He didn't leave. He stayed by her graveside. This is in Manchuria, where the winters are really cold. The summers are really hot. What would it be like? It's kind of like uh, maybe Newfoundland. I don't know. What's the? You could chart out the latitude of Manchuria and Take it across to Canada. It's probably a lot like uh, north of Edmonton, you know, Alberta. It's really cold. If you, and when the weather comes down in Edmonton, if you're outside, mm -mm, uh, even in Calgary, which is southern Alberta, I was in Calgary when the cold dropped 40 degrees overnight, and before the farmers could get their horses into the barn, the horses froze in the fields. They lose homeless people who freeze solid on the streets before they can get in the shelters. And that's just how cold it is. All of a sudden, our pipes burst. And when it gets that cold, everybody knows in Alberta, you got to go leave the pipes on drip. Leave your faucet on drip. So blip, blip, So the water runs. If it's still in your pipes, in the walls, it'll freeze. And go, pop! And guess what? Plumbers do pretty well in Calgary. (laughs) They go around fixing the pipes a lot. Like, oh, uh uh-huh. Oh, I hear, okay, sure. You know, uh, that'll be another $6,000 to repair all your pipes. So you learn after that one episode to leave your water pipes running in the sink. Drip, drip, when it gets that cold. And then, then, two days later, In comes the chinook, C-H-I-N-O-O-K. Chinook means a sudden warming. And overnight, it's 40 degrees warmer. Boom, like that. And it's back to like, you know, 12 degrees instead of 30 below, the way it was two days ago. So uh, cold. And Shifu stayed by his mother's graveside in Manchuria, where it gets that cold. Why? Vows. Vow power. Yuan li. Vows. That's what he did. What was the vow? Well, think about it. Okay, think about your mom. Now, trust your mom is is healthy. Or perhaps she's already gone on, passed on. But imagine if when your mom passed on, you said, in order to come into this body, into this world, my mother went through minimum nine months of misery. Uh, maybe not misery, nine months of work, certainly, bringing me into the world, carrying me around. And then the real work started. She had to feed me. She had to change my, my diapers. She had to put up with me while I was uh, unable to take care of myself feed me, nurture me, educate me, clothe me, keep me safe. And that's up to age, what, five or six, before I could kind of walk around on my own. Then she had to see to my education, to my feeding, to my forming as a child. Mom went through a lot. And because of my Buddhist practice, now this is all hypothetical, right? I'm saying, suppose somebody had these thoughts. Because of my Buddhist practice, I know that coming through somebody's womb means you got a strong tie to that person who you know as who? Mom. You call her mom. Well, she's actually another person like millions and billions of moms throughout the world. But this is my mom. How come I picked that woman to be born to? Well, because I have a connection to her. Now, if you're a really... If you can step aside from that first relationship of mom to daughter, mom to son, you think, I know how my mom behaved, which was, she put me first. She definitely could have meditated a lot better if I hadn't come along, but she always put me first. Instead of sitting there entering samadhi, being peaceful, she got up when I was crying and took care of me. My mother put her cultivation aside so that I could get my needs met. That was enough to move mom out of samadhi, right? To come and take care of me. Every time it was like that. She never didn't do that. She always did do that. Put me first. In other words... I am an obstacle to my mother's cultivation. Now, would she say that? Of course not. She would say, that's what I do. I am your mother. I love you. You know, duh, right? Mother's love. One of the strongest motivating forces in the universe. She would say, it, uh, you don't. My mother would say, oh, I never thought of it that way. That sounds wrong to me. I'm your mother. Of course I did that. You know, like, don't even ask. That's the power of that bond. From the Buddhist point of view, she's attached to me. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's good. Isn't that a good thing? That she didn't you know, ignore you when you were hungry and st- go, ah, you take care, I'm meditating. Don't bother. Me. <laughs> Mom wouldn't do that. All right. But from the Buddhist point of view, you're an obstacle to her cultivation. Okay? From the cultivator's description obstacle. from the mother's description, natural love, what I'm supposed to do. My job as a mother, I don't see it as a problem at all. I want you to grow up. Every mother, human, non-human, would do the same. Okay, Master Shren looked at his mother, I believe, I can't put words in his mouth, but I believe he said, I would really like to remove myself from my mother's uh, duty list, duty roster, and tie up, quote, tie off, i.e., that is to say, finish, untie my tie to her so that I get out of her hair and she can get on with her cultivation. I would like to stop having to, ve- to come through her womb and burden her with me as child So, I'm going to stay by her graveside and keep my prayers, my repayment of her. I'm going to keep investing in her bank account of virtue so that next time around, I won't come through her womb. She will be relieved of me if I can really pay it back. Isn't that funny? The, the math you get that like credit and debit, the the changmu right, the the ledger of that. Why do we come to our moms? Well, I don't really know the answer except to say it's a debt. It's a deep tie that brings us to our mother, and definitely mother puts me the child first over her cultivation through the child's love for the mother he, she can say I want to get rid of that tie to to pay it back so I'm going to stay by mother's graveside for the required, it's not entirely three years it's more like what, 20 how does it go, 30 months or something like that three years would be 36 right? apparently the filial debt is repaid in 30 classically, any Confucians here how does it go so a three, thirty-six? I heard it was less. So 30 huh? Okay, check. I, I believe it was thirty. I think like two and a half or something. Classically, you could look at um, who. They go Huang Tingjian, Huang Tingjian. They Song Chao. They Yeah, check it out. Okay. I want to pay it back, so I'm going to put in three years minus a month or two of filial practiced by my mother's grave with the idea being I'm going to erase myself from her to-do list. I'm going to check myself off her to-do list. So next time, she won't have to bring me around. How interesting. It's like, first of all, to think that you could address that relationship is already interesting. Mostly we just think, yeah, it's my mom. I didn't ask to come. You know, what do I owe you? (laughs) That's you know i just came i didn't ask to come you owe it to me that's kind of our american attitude you know so the chinese say no actually there's something you can do first of all it's not a given that that's my mom second of all i can do something about it it's a kind of a transaction and if i can repay the goodness through my prayers through my transference as i sit beside her grave for 3 years then maybe i can like take myself off her list, give my mother a life free of me, the child who is such a burden to her so that she forgets to cultivate and takes care of me instead. How about that? What an amazing idea, right? That this is a transaction and that we see each other again and again and again until that debt is repaid. That was a whole new idea to me when I... I first encountered what was called xiaozi, filial children. Our teacher was one. His teachers were also filial children. Master Xu Yun, Empty Cloud, our teacher's teacher, the one with the long white beard, lived to be 120. His mother died in childbirth. So he very easily identified that his coming was her end. Had he not been born, she might have lived on. Well, that's a burden for a kid to realize once you get mature. What did he do about it? He said, I'd like to repay her kindness. So he made a vow to bow across China, taking a full prostration every three steps with the wish that doing difficult Spiritual work would be done on her behalf. If there was any goodness arising from having made that sacrifice, that work, he wanted to give it to her. So he did his pilgrimage on her behalf. Interesting. Um, the monk who Master Shenhua took refuge with, Chang uh, Zhi. He was a filial son. He stayed by his mother's grave for three years. Chang ren, the monk who Master Xunhua left home with, stayed by his mother's grave for three years and then stayed by his father's grave. He was a filial child for six years. So we have this whole line of people who are addressing that primary relationship, which I think is fascinating because... Who knew? All right. My father is buried in a cemetery overlooking the confluence of two rivers in Sherbrooke, Quebec. If I had sat by my father's grave in Sherbrooke, Quebec, I would have done time in a Quebec jail. (laughs) I would have been arrested. Eh bien, qu'est-ce que c'est comme ça? Et puis, alors, on va? Maintenant? Non? Allez. So it's like, can't do that in Canada, in America. You go to Forest Lawn Cemetery and sit by a gravesite, and that's a quick trip to jail. You'll be arrested for trespassing, right? We don't get filial children in this country. Yet. Who knows? Maybe, you know, what an idea go pick out a cemetery and sit beside I'm being filial to my no you're not <laughs> you're disturbing the peace you know leave now or face arrest go to court tried for being a filial child Can you imagine so interesting but in china that was recognized and considered to be what awesome because why you suffer man Master Shenhua put together a sorghum hut. Sorghum is like corn stalks. An A-frame. He lashed together A-frame, and he sat there in the snow. And then in Manchuria in the summer, it gets over 100 degrees. It's, the weather there is raw. And when you look at his biography, as he talks about what went on as he sat by his mother's grave, he had wolves, of which there are plenty, come and test him out. He had insects come, test him out. Rats came, tested him out. And uh, he sat there through all that time. And when people brought food, he ate. If they didn't bring food, he got his Visa card and went down to the Safeway and stocked up on the groceries. Not. (laughs) No Visa, no Safeway, no groceries. He ate what people brought him. And there is one episode... When it snowed so heavily, it was an ice storm, and the roads to get there were icy. 28 days, no food. He fasted for 28 days. And finally, uh, this is in the early part of the, 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 his, his uh, observance, uh, somebody finally said, Hey, you know, I think uh, the roads have been, the ice has been so bad. I think Filial Sun Bai is still up there. Somebody went up to check and brought him food, and he said, I've had a 28-day dream. He said, thank you for the food. 28 days, no food. So, tough. You know, that's what you call what? Vow power. You had the strength of his vows carried him through such what some people would say stupid devotion, right? What are you doing? I'm sitting here by my mother's grave so I don't have to be her son anymore, <laughs> What? You're what? You know, right. Why? Because I love my mother so much, I don't want to be her son anymore. Makes no sense unless you understand the thinking, the insight, the deep, profound insight into where relationships come from. In other words, the relationships that we take for granted all pretty much entail. First, certainly prior connections, but more importantly, debts. And debts can be debts of kindness. It doesn't have to be like a debt that you have to pay off with gritted teeth unwillingly. No. There are debts of kindness. And voluntarily, Master Shenhua made a vow to stay by his mother's grave to repay the kindness of her giving to him. It's like, Whoa. What an interesting idea! And then beyond that, guess what? He did it. He put it. He put the time in. And his teacher did it too. And his teacher, teacher, teacher—three different. It's like, very interesting. All right, why don't we have a system like that in this country? In this culture. One reason is our culture's pretty young. I've been told that a century ago, no, more than that, I guess they say two, 200 years ago, there were grizzly bears in Strawberry Creek. Where's Strawberry Creek, 15 minutes walk from here? In other words, human beings have been here only a short time. You are sitting in Berkeley, California's sixth oldest wooden structure, according to the count that somebody did the Bancroft Library. People build their churches first when they settle a new place. This has been a religious structure since 1898. So that's 100-plus years. It's been a church. So if you go back another 100, you can say... There certainly were not white people here or Asian people. There may have been native Californians. For sure there were. The Pomos, the Miwoks, the alones all lived here. Uh, Emeryville, Shell Mound Road. What is Shell Mound Road? Shell Mound Road is where the Native Americans piled the shells from the mollusks, from the shellfish that were so abundant in where San Francisco Bay. Man, if you want to gather good food, go to somebody's tranquil bay. You say, well, I we can't do that now. The uh, mercury and arsenic pollute the shellfish. F- yes, that's because of the white people who came later. So not too long ago, there weren't any people here. My point is what? We haven't done relationships for very long. Switch to China. How long have the Chinese been living, where Master Shenhua grew up? Mm, minimum 10,000 years. We know that Mandarin, this language, especially Manchurian versions of it, has been in the current form for a minimum 5,000 years, maybe six. So, older civilization. When you have an older civilization, what do you do? You figure out relationships. You learn how to do mom to son, son back to mom. What do we do? We do machines and things in our culture. We don't do people very well. We haven't even figured out how to pay for health (laughs) care. Right? We don't. You're sick, you're on your own. That's the way we do relationships. You're old, we might cut off your pension, depending on which party gets the, the vote. Funny, huh? We haven't figured that out, that people get old, that it's going to happen to me. So we, we don't do that. We do other things with our wealth. We do things with our wealth, not people. We haven't figured out relationships. So filial children, mm, not there yet. Not able to figure that one through, think it through. It seems so obvious Talk about a self-made man, self-made woman. No such thing, friends. <laughs> there is no self-made man. maybe transformation bodhisattvas made from vow power. but you guess what I am as a, as a I'm a mother-made man. Mom was there when I was born. She was there. She can tell you about it. You know, Dad was probably there too. Self-made man, get real. No such thing. We are all other made beings pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? Uh-uh. No matter what Mitt Romney would have told you had he won, what Paul Ryan is probably still telling him, that somehow we are other-made, self-made, not the case. Many, 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 many conditions come together before we take shape, before we take form. The Buddhist view says what an educated Person, educated in the best sense, what a human being does is addresses those conditions, keeps the energy flowing back. You don't consume it, you don't stash it thinking that now that's yours. You flow it through, you repay the kindness. And what does that do? It ensures a continued flow of what are called blessings in the future, right? So what does the, the bodhisattva with his or her vow power do? He, she ensures that more blessings go out than come in. Certainly he or she does not claim them and say, these are mine. They're in my bank account with my name on it and the Cayman Islands are in Switzerland. Mine, not yours. What that does is it shuts off the blessings. It ends the flow of energy. When you try to claim it, it's not yours to begin with. By owning it, you and keeping it away from others, you stop that connection with the wealth. The bodhisattva wants to empty out, wants to increase his or her ability to flow that energy through, giving more. So giving is the first practice of all Buddhas. The Dana Paramita. This is a fundamental truth of the Dharma. Okay. So if he or she uses the power of vows, you get to see more Buddhas, you you experience more samadhis. Than the Bodhisattva, who simply lets the power of the third ground change him. Okay? So vows, which means you personally want to put your stamp on your practice and increase it more things happen so interesting that the bodhisattva has room here to use to to make it your own okay that's just one of the qualities of the third ground what are we talking about bodhisattvas this is what this chapter tells you about didn't realize that that was a possibility last stanza last stanza of the third ground Last four lines. Here we go. Eche jung shang Helping all beings everywhere, that bodhisattva's excellent practices, all of which, like the entire teachings of the third ground, based on these doctrines, I've now explained in full. I retranslated the English um, into an attempt to make it real English helping all beings everywhere, that Bodhisattva's excellent practices, all of which exist, uh, the entire teachings of the third ground, based on those doctrines, I've now explained in full. Okay. People who will tell you that... um, The Buddha Dharma is obscure, mystical, esoteric, woo woo, out there. I would propose this stanza should put an end to that idea. What does it say? Helping all beings everywhere. Is that esoteric? No, it's hard work. It's heart. This sutra is heart. It's, It's feeling, not abstraction. Helping all beings everywhere with the bodhisattva's excellent practices, such as what? Sitting by your mother's graveside, my Lord. The entire teachings of the third ground based upon these principles I've now told you all about. Whose voice is this? This is Jingang Gang Zang Pusa, the Bodhisattva whose name is Vajra Storehouse. He's telling the story. What is this? This is sacred literature, meaning sacred, uh, it is. This is hard to get to, hard to meet. You have to prepare your mind to hear this because otherwise it's just too good. How could people be this good, this altruistic? In fact, they are. This is rare stuff to find a a story about humanity that is this pure. Now, I want to point out something else. In these sutras, there's no bloodshed. You notice that? This is a human story. I mean, this is a narrative of real people doing real things. There's no bloodshed. There's no cruelty. There's no dishonesty. There's no revenge. All of that is not part of this text. And yet, it's a real human story with people doing real things. It's not like airy fairy, fairy tale. Even fairy tales have cruelty. The cruel stepmother, the wicked witch, the evil king, you know, the uh, deceitful moneylender or uh, warlord, right? That's all not here. And yet it's not boring. It's not humdrum. Hollywood would tell you that If it doesn't bleed, nobody wants to read it. The news media would say, if it's not sensational, it's buried in section C in the back. Okay, well, these spiritual classics survived 2,500 years, and you might say from lifetime after lifetime, world after world, without any bloodshed, without any sensation, because it's the It's the principles of the nature. This is true seeing of how we are at our very deepest, without opinion about it, without controversy about it. Neat. Buddha Sutras. This is the Buddha's vision of how things are before thought, before language. It's unmediated by language. So that's that's an interesting idea, right? Here's, Here's my experience with that. You can sit still and watch your mind get quieter and quieter until you get to a place where language stops popping up into your brain pan. And then at a certain point, your mind moves, pop, up comes an idea. You go, oh, hey, language is not a given. Thinking is not a given. There is a place before words and thought. And the mind functions just fine. It's completely alive. It's com- the six senses are still working really well, but it's not mediated by ideas. What an interesting notion. And at that point, you go, gee, language is just a convention. This is just something we agree on. It's not a given at all. Where's that door? What is that door of language and thought? It's in the mind. It's shared. You know, it's you could say it's uniquely human. Do other species have language? Yeah, definitely. Oh, speaking of which, ha. Um, Can I read it to you? Let's talk about other species language. I got an email. Um, Am I going to read you that email? Yes, only if I can find it. I can tell it to you without having to read it. It was really a lovely story. Let's see if I can find it. it um, it's worth it. I have to tell it to you. There was a female humpback whale out by the Farallons uh, in the Chronicle a couple of days ago that had run afoul of crab pots and was weighed down by a 100 pounds of sinkers to keep the pots at a certain level. This whale had tangled up in some crab fishermen's pots and in the process of thrashing around had gotten tangled up in about a hundred set a hundred yards that's a lot of lines and sinkers including one going through its mouth the whale was about to drown because whales have to come up and breach and it was vertical in the water because the pots were pulling it down now a humpback whale is huge Right, So somebody reported it. They saw it bobbing there, this giant mammal, this giant creature in the water out by the fair line. So they called for an emergency rescue team. The rescue team came out, took a look at the situation, and said, we've got to cut it loose. Divers, are you willing to go down in the water next to this huge, giant creature, which with a single lash of its tail could knock you into your next rebirth. Well, the divers said, yep, we'll go. So they went down, and the whale stood in the water completely still while the divers painstakingly cut it free. The man who cut the line off the mouth of the whale says, the whale's huge eyes were watching him very closely, this far away with every cut and the whale stood very still and watched the man made eye contact with every snip as the whale was cut free it did laps around all the divers, they said like a victory dance and it came up and nudged each diver one by one and sending these humans into a feeling of joy that they'd never felt before. And the man who finally cut the line off the mouth said that this is the peak experience of his entire life, having the whale say, thank you. Now, I have been next to cows that have never, ever been afraid of humans, cows that for whom humans were always kind and beneficial, cows in India that have never been eaten, right, in their whole lifetime. They'd never had that experience. And a a 2,000-pound, 1,600-pound animal full of joy towards you is quite an experience. It's the biggest heart, you know, physical heart I've ever been close to much less brain, that loved me back, you know, big cow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. A whale is the largest creature on the planet. To have that animal grateful to you must be quite wonderful. So having this whale say thank you personally to you for having cut it free, can you imagine? So this is a chronicle story, and it was reported the other day. So, there was definitely something being communicated, not with language. We don't, you know, you have to listen carefully to hear the whale's songs. You can. But this came heart to heart, mind to mind. The mind to mind transmission from a whale to a human's who cut it free. How interesting. Clearly the intelligence of the whale's tuned in to the fact that these humans were setting it free. And it was grateful. So, yeah. This bodhisattva helps all beings everywhere with excellent practices. Zui the highest practices. Ru Soyo Di the entire teachings of the third ground, wo Yi Yi I've now explained to you fully. I've relied upon those teachings to explain to you. Recall how Vajra Treasury Bodhisattva at the start of the Ten Grounds chapter said, I don't want to talk about this. Nobody's going to get it, he said. And one by one, the Bodhisattvas and then the Buddhas came along and said, No, it's okay. Go ahead. They'll get it. No, I don't want to do it. No, it's okay. You can do it. Explain it. They'll they'll get it. No, uh uh-uh, not going to do it, said Vajra Treasury. Finally, the Buddha came along and said, Please, explain the ten grounds. You need to do it. It'll help them out. At that point, Vajra Treasury couldn't refuse the Buddha, so he said, All right, here we go. So this is his voice saying, Okay, here it is. I've now told you about this Bodhisattva who, remember? Remember how the story went? What was it? This bodhisattva felt the misery of living beings. He saw through the surface of stuff. Remember, we spent weeks talking about how the bodhisattva can look at something like this and say, wow, really beautiful. This is an arrangement of hydrocarbons. It's the plant world. It's matter, which is very volatile. It doesn't stay like this for long. Pretty now, wait two days. Not so pretty. Furthermore, when he looks at this, he goes, most of us go right for the blossom. What about this guy? You don't get the blossom without this. What about that guy? You don't get the blossom without that, the stem. If it's roses, you go, what about the thorn? The bodhisattva looks at this beautiful, what is this, by the way? Anybody know what these are called? What are they?
1: Water
0: lilies. Water mm, lilies? Those are lilies? Are they? No. they I don't think they're not like the lilies. What are they? They're something. Pretty. They're called flowers, dummy. Yeah, Wow. <laughs> these flowers come from roots, right? Furthermore, they come from the ground around the roots. Furthermore, they come from the sun shining down. And these we look at that beautiful, pink-tipped, white leopard-print petal and go, "How pretty, what a pretty flower!" Not seeing all the universe of elements coming together temporarily to make flower they're moving on. That is going fast. And the Bodhisattva would say, so are we. We see ourselves in the mirror, you know. We are flowers. We're fading fast. It's a couple of decades, we change really quick. Um, I looked at my transit and my horoscope the other day, and my natal uranus is exactly square, the transiting uranus, what does it say that happens at that point? It says, you get old. (laughs) That's the sign of age. From that point on, it's all downhill, like fast. Okay, (laughs) you know, getting old. So the Bodhisattva looks at that and says what? He says, pain. Birth, old age, sickness, death. Death. Living beings, we live on the surface of stuff. We don't look into the principles behind it, and we cling to the stuff we love, and we run from the stuff we hate. And guess what? It hurts when it changes, because it's changing really fast. And he wakes up to that, she wakes up to that, but he says, but the people I live with and care about don't wake up to that, and as a result... They hurt when it changes. I want to wake them up, he said. And then he said, how do I wake him up? And he went, aha, the Buddha Dharma is how I wake him up. Where am I going to learn it? I got to find teachers, he said. And so he sets out on a search for teachers. And each one of these grounds has a little vignette in it, a little playlet. And the vignette, the little story inside the story in this case, is what the bodhisattva will trade in exchange for the dharma from a teacher. That was the vignette. And he says, somebody says, Oh, I, you really want it? Yeah, I'll get anything in order to hear the dharma. So, anything? Is that, remember the old joke? Anything? Yeah, anything. Okay, so the voice says, Will you throw your body into a pit of fire starting from the Brahma heavens. <laughs> in order to hear the verse, a single verse of Dharma, the Bodhisattva says, you bet. Show me the pit of fire. Give me a ladder. I'm climbing up there and jumping in in exchange for a verse of Dharma that will help living beings wake up. At that point, they say, you pass your test. Good for you. And he enters Samadhi for the first time. This is the third of Ten, what does it correspond to? Patience. There is a way to match up the ten grounds with the ten paramitas. This is number three, which is always renru, bolomi. The first is what? Giving. Second is precepts. Third is patience. The fourth is vigor. Okay, this was where we learned about psychic powers. The bodhisattva gets those at this stage. His or her mind is developing. His body is developing. His nature is developing. So this is the third one. And that's where we are. Coming up next is the fourth ground, the fourth stage. And we're going to dig into that starting next week. And anybody have questions or comments about what we've learned? We've been... Working on this for some while. We should start dating these when we started. We kind of just go free form. And it's been a long time on this third ground. Second ground before that. Fourth ground to come. We're going to have to, I don't know whether we're going to add to this booklet or start a new booklet to uh, put it in people's hands. But that's the work of this coming week. So that by next week you'll have a whole new section to look at. Any questions or comments? Yes, sir. Michael. What did
1: the master do when he was at his mom's grave? Because I imagine most of us would be kind of depressed and grieving and crying. I was wondering what he did and master G.
0: Yeah. So Michael's question was what did Sherfo do by his mother's grave? He imagines that most of us would be crying and weeping. What did he do? What did Master Shuyen do? Um, Short answer is I don't know, Um, because there aren't detailed records. But I do know he meditated a lot. He sat still a lot. And, you know, because that's hours and hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months. The seasons come and go. That's three Christmases, right? Three birthdays. Three summer, fall, winter springs, sitting in the same place. Um, I don't know if he grew food. I didn't hear that he ever grew a garden. Um, I think he watched his mind a lot. Uh, and he, he said that that's where his uh, meditative skill developed. There are stories about that time in his life and one of the things that happened was, they say, that this is near the end of his stay there. The villagers, the local villagers, and I've been there. I've actually been to La Linchan out in Manchuria. And it's, I always had in my mind it was mountainous. It's not. It's flat. It's far, It's corn land. They grow really good corn there, Dongbei. And one night, the villagers... Saw fire lighting up the sky and they all went running up the, you know, up the road to where he was sitting with buckets to put the fire out and when they got there, they found sherfu sitting still in meditation. No fire. And they all went, where's the fire? Where's the fire? He said, the fire? They said, yeah, we just saw the sky light up. Oh, no fire. Just me meditating. So what was that? You know, don't know. Don't know. Another thing he did was he took a, a leave for a short time in order to get his head shaved and become a monk. He he, got, he took the novice precepts. I guess he took a day off or a short time. But that's how he became, when he, you know, left home and became a monk. At the end of his day, so that's one thing. You know. What do you suppose you would do? Probably. <laughs> what kind of bandwidth do you suppose they had out there, Jerry? October eight. You made a note. Great. Wow. So a year and a year and a month. Per ground. Uh oh. <laughs> Ten years from now, seven more years. Yeah. Gotta hurry up. Move faster. Yes, Yenni. Someone
1: online asked about the uh, sixth appearing to Shikuru
0: in a mm. Mm. Okay, online, one of our Dharma friends online reminded us about another story that happened while. Master Shenhua was sitting by his mother's grave, which is one day the sixth patriarch walked into his meditation hut and delivered a message. And that's interesting until you remember that the sixth patriarch lived during the Tang dynasty in the, what, eighth century. Oh, what was he doing, you know, showing up? Well, you think, well, hallucination, hallucination. He was dreaming. Mm, maybe you don't know, but chances are, it really—it was really the sixth patriarch. How do you do that? So the sixth patriarch came into Master Shrinwa's hut and said, "In the future, you will go to a country far away. I don't know if he said America. But you'll go to the West and teach many, 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 many uh, sentient beings." professors, laborers, men women, students, elders that's your future to go to the West and speak Dharma so that's that's one he also made his vows at that time the eighteen vows that are the hallmark of master Shehua he made them then um, lots of people came to take refuge at that time including non-humans foxes, dragons they say so his reputation as an extraordinary monk um, was developed from that because that's pretty awesome to, to sit there all that time you get what's called ding li, samadhi strength when you meditate that long under those difficult conditions it's hard to do it forges your resolve. Vow power. Did
1: you food? Did you food?
0: People brought him food. If they didn't bring it, he didn't eat. Yeah. So that's, there's a resolve right there because you know what are we 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 get upset if we don't have sugar for our coffee or the right kind of sugar got to drink it black if you like cream and sugar vice versa got to drink cream and sugar if you like it black so it's funny huh and yet it's very easy to get used to what we like and not realize that it's all a gift it's all blessings The person to ask about this is Madalena. Uh, Tan Guo knows all the stories about that time. Because she and her family were among the very first to hear about these once Shurfu got to Hong Kong in 1949. Okay, will we have filial children in the future? Who knows? Maybe. Our culture uh, has taken material wealth about as far as we can go. Our families are atomized. So um, Master Xunhua said that filial regard, xiao dao, this this sense of connecting to our parents is what he called jiu guo miào yao is the wonderful medicine, the wondrous medicine that will save the nation. In other words, um, coming back to our fundamental connections is what will um, stitch our culture back together. (laughs) I do know that when I see um, President Obama with his daughters and uh, Mrs. Robinson, Michelle Obama's mom, together, it looks good. When you see the grandma looking over Sasha and Malia, right, our president, the first daughters, you see the first mother-in-law, (laughs) right, right? the first lady and her mother she becomes the first mother-in-law when you see uh, Michelle's mom there it looks right it's a rare sight and she's there watching the girls a lot you think those girls are so blessed with a good mom a good dad and a good grandma watching over them chances are they're going to grow up balanced pretty healthy because grandma's you know keeping them in line watching over them and, and using her heart. That's such a good sight to see. So filiality is indeed the... Uh, has a big job to do in keeping us healthy. A much overlooked and natural blessing that we don't tend to value in our rush towards better things... So, okay, I think that's pretty evident. Let's, you have a songbook there, and on the back of that songbook you have the dedication to merit, and you also have that, song, that uh, chanting sheet in front of you, which has the dedication to merit. This is an interactive blessing that we send out to the planet using that place where minds touch each other. Please make a wish and let's do that together.
1: indeed.